Please take your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 23. Today, the uh, first 25 verses are what we're going to concentrate on. In our Easter series, uh, we've been looking at this big idea that we want you to take home from uh, each message each week. Uh, we can believe the evangelist's uh, record concerning the trial, the arrest, trial, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, specifically today, we're going to look at the Roman trial of Jesus. And this is found in Luke 23, verses 1 through 25. Uh, I'm just going to begin reading. Uh, we'll probably read the first seven verses. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, Thou sayest it. <clears throat> then Pilate said unto the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And so you're looking in Luke 23, and that was John, right? I read the wrong text to you, did I? Or was that right? Uh, my notes are a little off here. All right, so let me just jump into this. So last week, we looked at the Hebrew trial of Jesus, and they reached the conclusion that he blasphemed. And we looked at the technical explanation of that, that Jesus did not blaspheme. He didn't curse the name of his God, nor did he take the name of his God in vain. Uh, all he said was, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming in the, in the clouds and sitting on the throne with his, with his Father. And so they said, oh, what further need do we have of any witnesses? He's blasphemed. He's worthy of death. Well, we saw that they couldn't actually carry out that sentence. So in the morning, what they do is they take Jesus over to the Romans before Pilate. Now, in the culture of the day, the Romans uh, started their legal proceedings very early in the morning, most likely at 6 a.m., right? And so they have Jesus uh, going over to Pilate early in the morning. And the Romans conduct their trials out in the open in the view of the public, unlike the trial of Jesus that the Sanhedrin performed. It was done in the high priest's palace and done secretly so that the people wouldn't become angry that they had arrested Jesus. And now Jesus is standing before Pilate. And the question is, is there really a separate trial or did the Jewish people just get Pilate to rubber stamp their decision and say, yes, he's worthy of death? And so in the gospel account, uh, you have four of them. 
as they show up, Pilate disappoints them right away. And he says to them, what charges or what accusation do you bring against this man? Well, now they realize that they're not going to get a rubber stamp for the trial that they just had. And the charges that we looked at last week were that Jesus was committing sedition by saying that he would destroy the Jewish temple, which was a national landmark, and that he blasphemed. And it was the blasphemy uh, that they accused of him, that they said that he was worthy of death for that reason. And so they're hoping that Pilate will just rubber stamp what they said, but when Pilate asks them, what accusation, what, what are the charges? Well, now they have to think on their feet. I don't think they were prepared for this. So on the fly, they create three new charges or a combination of their charges and a couple of new ones. So look with me at verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation. Now that's the sedition. Do you remember in the trial, the Hebrew trial, did that charge stick? You remember? No, it didn't. Why did it not stick? Because their own witnesses that they called in could not agree. And they said, guys, this is so bad, we have to set that charge aside. And you remember in the Hebrew child, they knew that they would have to release Jesus. So then they asked Jesus to testify against himself. Are you the Christ? Are you the, the Messiah? And Jesus said, well, in a sense, yes. <laughs> All right. And so that was all illegal. So this charge they're reintroducing, even though it didn't stand in their jurisdiction. The second one was then forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Do you think that's going to stick? Because we'll show you some verses that go along with that one later. And that uh, he himself saying that he himself, uh, Christ, as a king. And so Pilate then sends him away. Um, after an initial interview, all right? So let's just look at this here and uh, observe some information as we, we go through the Roman trial. So first of all, there is a second trial, all right? And it, the first point that we want to look at is the rejection of Jewish sovereignty. So they're hoping rubber stamp our, our verdict and just let us go on our way. That is not done. What charges do you bring? So they come up with three new charges. Now Pilate has to interview Jesus. Now, maybe something would help you at this point to understand uh, the Roman legal system that is in place at this time in the nation of Israel. You know the Romans are an occupying force, correct? They, they conquered Judea in uh, about 64 BC, and uh, at that time, then, the Jewish people lost their national sovereignty. The Romans come in, and they set up a governor. Sometimes another name for that is procreator, and he is allowed, then, to rule this new territory that Rome has conquered as a general, as a governor, any way he wants. 
because what he actually is is he is appointed by Caesar, where the king of Rome, as his personal representative in that new province. So in essence, Pilate is a little mini king, and he can do whatever he wants when it comes to the administration of law and the exercise of taxes and the raising of armies and putting down of rebellions. Pilate is the number one man. Nobody's going to tell Pilate what to do. And so this is the, the, the Roman system that is set up, is that the Caesar has given or entrusted his governor as his own personal representative. So Pilate is essentially Caesar himself in charge of this newly conquered territory. And he can do whatever he wants. Uh, by the way, the, the Roman Republic fell, and that's why you have the title Caesar, all right? And so this is Caesar Julius uh, at this point. And um, so essentially Rome is under a dictator. And so this dictator is in charge of the world, and he can do whatever he wants. And so when the Jews come to him, he says, what charges? And so they come up with these three, and uh, then he interviews Jesus very briefly, and we'll look at this, and he sends Jesus back out in this raised-up platform in view of the Jewish leaders that were accusing him, and says, I find no fault in him. Trial technically should be over once again. And the Jews become angry, vehemently, raising their voices. And they are trying to bring up another charge against Jesus to have him go back in and be tried again. And so they mention this one little detail. He's from Galilee. Well, Pilate didn't hear what they were trying to say legally or judicially. All he heard was the word Galilee. And then, as we'll see in our second point, the question is really of Roman sovereignty. Should I even be trying this case? Maybe it needs to go to Herod. So the Jewish people in the first phase of the Roman trial of Jesus are horribly disappointed. They were looking for the rubber stamp. They didn't get it. And not only that, they were made fun of. Pilate and the Jews did not get along. Pilate had mingled the blood of Jewish people with their sacrifices in the temple. The Jews became so angry at Pilate that they tried to have a revolt over the little eagle that was on top of the Roman standard because that was considered an idol. And then the images of Tiberius on their shields. And there was bloodshed over these things. And so eventually uh, the Romans saw how passionate the Jews were that they pulled those shields and that eagle standard out of the city of Jerusalem away from the temple so that there wouldn't be such a vehement hatred between the Jews and the Romans. So Pilate is no friend of the Jewish people, of the Jewish leaders. And when they come with their local dispute to Pilate with an empire dispute, he says this, 
Well, here's their first answer, all right? We wouldn't have brought him to you in the first place if he were not a malefactor. That's the first thing they say. And you can find that over in Matthew's account. Pilate essentially says, all right, if you're not going to tell me what the charges are, then you go and you try him. And they say, well, we can't because we have given a death sentence and only the Romans can carry out a death sentence. And Pilate was making fun of them and he says, oh, that's right, you're subjugated people, aren't you? You need me to approve what you want to do. Aha, uh -huh, right. And so here's the rejection of their Jewish sovereign claim that they can do whatever they want with the Son of Man. And so they're horribly disappointed in this. So they lost the power in 63 BC when Pompey overran Judea. And so Pilate is called the governor. He can do whatever he wants. All right. Now, we've already mentioned to you this little detail about Herod and jurisdiction. Now, this is not the Herod of the Christmas story. Herod is the Idumean word for king. This is Herod Antipas, and he is the son of Herod the Great. Now, King Herod the Great, he's the one who built the temple. He's the one who built Masada. He's the one who built all kinds of magnificent structures that still stand if you were to go to Israel today. As a matter of fact, I've had the opportunity to touch some of the Herodian stones, and we know they're from the time period of Herod because he did an ornate outline around his stones. One of those stones, just one of them that's in the, in the bottom course of the temple wall is the size of a school bus. It's huge. All right. And so he was a magnificent builder. Well, he died. And when he died, uh, the Romans had conquered that area, and he was paying the Romans tribute to be a king. And so his four sons had a dispute about who would be the next king. And they fought it out, and then they sent ambassadors to Rome to try to pay Rome off to let one of them be king. So the Romans came up with a great idea. We'll just take Herod's kingdom and we'll divide it into four parts. And so this is why Herod is called a tetrarch. It means a fourth. So he's a king over one-fourth of the kingdom that Herod the Great, his father, had owned. But he happens to be the king, because he's paying tribute to Rome, of Galilee, of Nazareth, where Jesus is from. And so that's the little detail here. And so... First of all, the rejection of Jewish sovereignty. We saw that in verse 2. Now go down to verse, five, uh, verse 3 with me. And let's look at the question of Jesus' sovereignty. Um, and Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou king of the Jews? And he answered and said, Thou sayest it. Now over in John's account, chapter 19, verse 34, Jesus has a little conversation with Pilate, trying to spiritually minister to this Roman governor. He has some interaction with him. And so when Pilate asks him the question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus in John 19, 34 says this, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others uh, tell it thee of me? In other words, is this your question? Or is this a question that the Jewish leaders have brought to your attention? 
Jesus is trying to meet his spiritual needs. And so Pilate answered, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Thy own nation and thy chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? So Jesus is wanting to know, Pilate, is your question personal, or is this just something that others have said about me and you're inquiring about that? Because Jesus wants to know, because it's going to set up the way that he frames his answer. And the way that he frames his answer is going to come to the central point for Pilate's heart and show Pilate his spiritual need. So here's how Jesus answers this, all right? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So Jesus gives him an earthly or a temporal answer. Are you a king? Because if he is a king, as far as Rome is concerned, then that is a Roman sovereignty concern. And he would probably put Jesus to death for making such a claim. And so Jesus answers it, my kingdom is not of this world. At this point, Pilate's mind can basically explode as a Roman. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Kingdom? Not of this earth? Not of this world? How can you have a kingdom if you don't control territory? Because the Rome, Romans are all about advancing and taking land from other nations. So this is a totally new concept of what kingdom is to Pilate. <coughs> Blows his mind. Wait a minute. How can you have a kingdom without an earthly realm? And so it, when he hears that, then he's like, okay, well, this guy isn't really a king. But Jesus isn't done with him yet. Okay? He said, my kingdom is not of this world, then would my servants fight. So if it was an earthly kingdom, Peter, James, and John would be in here trying to chop their way in to get me out. Right? But it's not of this world. That I should not be delivered uh, to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from hence. So he gives him then an eternal answer. And this is John 19, 37. Therefore Pilate said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Do you remember Pilate's reaction to that? What did he say? What is truth? He's a little jaded. Because at that point, being a Roman, even though he's of the royal blood and of the noble class, he remembers the good old days of a Roman republic. By the way, just a little side note. Do you hear too many of our politicians framing the explanation of our country as a republic or as a democracy? Did you know that technically we're a republic? Just a free thought there. But Pilate remembers all that turmoil, and he remembers how 
the Constitution of Rome fell. And that just kind of creates just a jaded perspective in him as a human being. And so his, his answer is, what is truth? Kind of like people today that say something like this. Well, you Christians, you say there's absolute truth, but there is no such thing as absolute truth. Do you see the irony in that? That's an absolute. So yes, as Christians, we say there's absolute truth because there is absolute truth. Thy word is truth. So people are even like Pilate today. They're just a little bit jaded. You really can't know if there's truth or not. Well, the good thing is we have the word of God and we can know truth. Jesus Christ himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we can know truth by Jesus, and we can know truth in the Word of God, the Bible. And so he answers Pilate very wisely. So Pilate dismisses the two charges, one of sedition and the second of not paying tribute. And then this third one about being a king, he was really interested in that one. He wanted to investigate that and see if that was really a true charge. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is spiritual. My kingdom is about truth. And Pilate's mind is opened to a whole new realm of possibility. And yes, I use the word realm intentionally there, right? But you can be a king without a physical kingdom? You know, there's three things you need to have a kingdom. You need to have a king, you need to have subjects, and you need to have a realm. So Jesus, as a king, has subjects, and they're mentioned in his reply, and it is this, for everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Well, Pilate didn't hear his voice because of his answer, what is truth, all right? But his domain is not of this world. So his kingdom isn't a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. And Pilate had an opportunity, just as the Sanhedrin, to surrender to the sovereignty of Jesus. And we'll see that Jesus is sovereign um, all through this trial. But take your Bibles and go with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And let's look at verses 3 and 4. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is stating that he's the good shepherd of Israel, and that he'll give his life for his sheep. And... Um, Verses 3 and 4 uh, tell us that those that know Jesus will hear his voice. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep, what? Hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Verse 4, and when he putteth them uh, forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, that's what a shepherd would do, and the sheep follow him, for they, what? Know his voice. Well, how do you know if Jesus is speaking to you? Now, you're not going to hear an audible voice from heaven, but you're going to hear God communicating to your mind 
into your will and your affections through the Bible. And here's how that will appear. Ooh, yeah, I've never really considered that God is holy. Because I certainly don't make up that standard. I've never been perfect. And wow, God is perfect and I'm not, so there's some consequences for that according to the Bible. And that really bothers me. Jesus says I have to repent and put my trust in him and have my sins forgiven. I'll do that. Well, you just heard his voice. You just listened to him through his word. He convicted you of sin, of his righteousness, and of a judgment to come. And the Holy Spirit pulled you in with the bands of love and drew you to himself. And so Jesus saying, those that are mine will hear my voice. So I guess my question for you today is this. Will you hear the good news that God, his only son, sent to preach that there is a thing called everlasting life? Gospel. Good news. That sinners can be forgiven when they listen to the voice of God and will repent and put their trust in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. There's another example of listening to the voice of Jesus in that spiritual realm in your life. The early Christian church it says that they went preaching this message. This is what the critics said about Christians. These have turned the world upside down and have come here also, whom Jason has received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. That's Acts chapter 17, verses 6 through 8. Folks, there is a different king in life than a political party. There's a different king than the president. There's a different king than the world's political structures. There's a king called Jesus. Will you hear his voice? Will you humble yourself? Will you live by his dictates and standards? See, just once again, just as a side note, maybe a little rabbit trail. Kingdoms that are of this world get really bent out of shape when those that hear the voice of Jesus won't yield and mold themselves to the earthly structures that they set up. Bow your knee and do what we tell you to do, little peasant. All right? Well, we have a King Jesus, and we have to live for him as well as believe in him. And uh, we, we hear a different voice. So don't get sucked into the voice of the world. Listen to the voice of Jesus. The reality of a spiritual kingdom bothers men of a temporal nature and of a temp temporal kingdom because people will give their allegiance to Jesus rather than to earthly men. And so Pilate delivers the verdict comes back out at this time to the Jews and says, I find no fault at all. That should have been the end of the trial. 
Jesus should have been released. You think about it. Pilate is the absolute dictator, if you will, of Judea. He had tens of thousands of Roman soldiers at his dispense. He could have called a hundred or a thousand of them to march Jesus safely out of the judgment hall. Could have been very easily done. But Pilate is just a little bit cowardly. Okay? And so in verse 5, we see then the question of Roman sovereignty. It says this, and there were and they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. So when they heard, I find no fault in him at all. They didn't like Pilate's judgment. He acquitted Jesus. They didn't like that. So they raised their voice, became more vehement, more fierce. And so they were saying all kinds of things, and then Pilate is thinking, wait a minute. Did they just say the word Galilee? I see a way out of this. I don't have to get dirty here. All right? This just might be King Herod's problem. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him over to King Herod and let Herod take the fall for this. And it just happens to be that we're in the Passover season, and Herod is in the city. He's just a couple of blocks away. How convenient for me at this time. So, I will send a few soldiers, and we'll escort Jesus over to Herod's palace. Well, let me rephrase that. Herod's rented quarters, because Pilate was actually in Herod's palace. <laughs> Okay, and um, there's a little bit of hatred between these two guys. Number one, because Pilate killed Galileans and he mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Number two, when Rome conquered Judea, they took the Herod's palace. Herod the Great lost his palace to Rome. And so the Romans are occupying his palace. So these two guys are at odds with one another. So verse 7 says, as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was at Jerusalem at that time. So it's all a matter of standing. Right? Have you heard that in the news? Um, the recent Supreme Court cases and people arguing their cases. But one of the first things the judges do, if they have any question at all, are you in the right jurisdiction? Do you even have the right to bring a charge or to be defending or to be accusing. What's your legal standing? Do you have jurisdiction in this matter? Maybe you're not the right person to bring this case before us. That's one of the first things that they investigate. You know, we get our philosophy from the Greeks, we get our religion from the Jews, but we get our law from the Romans. So he sends him over to Herod. And so is this the right court of jurisdiction? So Pilate sent him to Herod. And this made Herod Antipas very happy for the two reasons. That, hey, the Roman is actually deferring to my judgment here. This might be a good thing. And you know what? I've actually wanted to see this guy for a long time. He's from my jurisdiction, and I've heard all kinds of stories about him. 
I, I hear stories about how he heals blind people, how he makes lame people walk again, um, how he turns, bre uh, you know, multiplies bread and, and fish. Uh, I hear about resurrection of dead people coming to life. I really want to see this kind of magician, this Jesus. I want to find out who he is. So he's very glad that Pilate sent him this way. But listen to what the scripture says here, verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to, set him, uh, to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some, what, miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, but he answered him nothing. So, you know what Herod is really glad about? Hey, maybe I can have some free entertainment. Maybe Jesus will be our court gesture for the day. Maybe I can just pass an hour of entertainment here. And so he's wanting to see Jesus do some kind of miracle in front of him. You know, Herod was actually, Herod Antipas was a little spooked about Jesus. He thought he was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Um, but you know, Jesus gives one little epitaph about Herod Antipas. Calls him that fox. Well, Herod Antipas was trying to scare Jesus one day and said, you know, if you're not out of my territory by tomorrow, sundown, I'm going to kill you. And Jesus says, you just go tell that fox and I'm going to stay here and minister. Actually, I'm going to stay about three more days. So, not tomorrow, sundown. You don't scare me at all, Herod Antipas. You can tell that fox I just said that. One commentator put it this way, that Herod Antipas made Judas Iscariot look respectable. Okay, so that's what Jesus thought of Herod. So, Herod is asking all kinds of questions that he really has no right or authority to be asking, and Jesus just refuses to answer any of them. Just remains silent. And this angers the chief priests. Verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood by and vehemently accused him. And when Herod uh, with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So poor Herod, he didn't get his daily entertainment out of Jesus. And Jesus wouldn't answer his questions. Now there's a couple of reasons why Herod sends him back. Number one, because Jesus is a Galilean, and he has quite the following there. And if he puts him to death, he's going to lose his little personal kingdom because Jesus is so popular. Herod doesn't want to anger the base, right? So he's not going to try it for that reason. And the second thing is, the reason why he's not going to try it, because he's, even though he's a king, he's an appointed king, by Rome, and he has to pay tribute to keep that title. And if he takes this case up and offers a death sentence to Jesus, and Rome later gets some heat from this, well, he could lose his little kingship. He might not be a king. Actually, you know what happened to Herod Antipas? About 10 years after this, he did lose his kingship. Rome took it away. So Herod is not going to touch this trial, so he sends him back to Pilate. Well, I think Herod was caught in Pilate's snare of flattery, but Pilate is also caught in this trap that he has to now deal with the trial of Jesus after all. So we come back to the second interview then of Jesus, and this brings us to uh, one of our closing points here, all right? The question of sovereign 
origin and of earthly authority. So now you can go over to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Um, and so what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to be reading from Luke 23, and then I've mixed in some John 19. So I'll tell you which book I'm in. So you want to be in John 19 with one piece of paper or the bulletin uh, or finger, and then you also want to be in Luke 23. Are you clear? Are you following me on that? So I'm going to have you flipping back and forth between these two passages. All right, so this comes from Luke 23, verse 13. Uh, Jesus comes back to Pilate. Verse 13, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and found no fault in this man, touching those things where you accuse him. So I rendered to you a verdict. I find no fault in him. Then I sent him over to Herod, verse 15, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. All right? So Herod, uh, Pilate at this point is kind of exasperated with the Jewish leaders. I, I've tried to placate you. I've tried to appease your anger, and you're not listening to me. I don't find anything wrong with this man. So then in verse 15 or 16, this is Luke 23, 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Well, Roman chastisement was the precursor to crucifixion. This is the cat of nine tails that will rip the flesh off of his back. This will be the, the crown of thorns that is plated into his head. This is where the abuse of, of Jesus... Now, previous to this, uh, when Herod didn't get his court gesture, um, Herod's men roughed him up and then sent him back to Pilate. So Pilate sees that Jesus has been roughed up, and he says, well, maybe I'll just chastise him some more, and maybe this will appease them. If I scourge him and let some of his blood go, maybe they'll be happy that I really punished him severely. And so he, he proposes to do this. Now verse 17, Luke 23 says, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. So the custom was at Passover season uh, that the Roman governor would do a political favor to the people and let a prisoner go free. And so it's proposed that either you can have Jesus and he can go free or you can have Barsabbas and he can go free. So Luke 23, verse 18, and they, that's the religious people, uh, religious leaders and the people, they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. So Pilate says, Hey, look, your charge of sedition, it didn't stand up with me. I find no fault in him. Now, if you really want somebody that's committed sedition, I know a prisoner in my jail. He did commit sedition and murder. So this man is innocent. Do you want me to release an innocent, pure, and just man? Or do you want me to release a murderer back into your streets? What a choice, right? Should be pretty obvious who they would want. Now I'm over in John chapter 19. This is John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. 
And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Now, a few years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Israel and to go to the basement of the Antonio Fortress where Jesus would have been at this moment with the Roman soldiers. And etched into the pavement is the game that the Roman soldiers would play with prisoners. And about the same time that Jewish Passover is going on, the Romans would worship the god Saturn. And Saturnus uh, would have an earthly king as a representative of, this, of his deity. This king would come to earth. So the Romans have this festival of Saturnus in their mind of this human being arrayed by Saturn, their god, and having a, a, a crown on his head and being arrayed gorgeously. And that's kind of the game that they played, but being soldiers, they took it way too far. All right? And so they're, they're roughing Jesus up, beating him and putting this crown of thorns in his head and mistreating him. It's the preparation for crucifixion. Folks, these are the rough, these are the bad boys. Jesus is in with the mean men. And he's being mistreated by them. And so they're mocking him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. They're, they're punching, buffeting our Savior. Pilate, therefore, went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may find, that I find, that you may know that I find no fault in him. So Jesus is pulled up out of the dungeon of the Antonio Fortress. He's brought back onto the platform uh, that's high and lifted up where everybody can see. And Pilate puts Jesus on display, dripping in blood, probably bruised and buffeted. And he says, look, I, I, we had some fun down there with him. And we've let some of his blood. You should be placated now. You, you should be happy with this. I find no fault in him. He's an innocent man. Should be over, right? But Pilate's a coward. So here's what happens. Um, John 19, 9, the Jews answered him, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. The Bible tells us that in the afternoon hours, or in the evening hours, Pilate's wife had a dream about Jesus. And she sent word to Pilate saying, I had a dream about this man. Don't touch him. He's, he's innocent. Have nothing to do with him. Be kind of like an omen if you render the wrong verdict here. Don't do it. Please, honey, don't, don't touch this innocent man. Well, Pilate was not deterred by that. Pilate is more concerned about his earthly little kingdom. But when he hears this question that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, it's quite possible, some historians believe, that Pilate's wife had become a Jewish convert. 
and that she had been sharing information with Pilate about the Jewish religion. And so this is what caused great concern in his, in his mind at this moment. When the Jews claimed that he was the son of God, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what did you just say? Unknown to the court, he's thinking, my wife told me a little bit about this. I know that I shouldn't mess with the son of God. So he brings him in, and uh, they went back into the judgment hall, and he saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate, in John chapter 19, verse 10, presses Jesus a little bit more. And so there's a question of not only heavenly origins, but of earthly authority. And Pilate said unto Jesus, Speaketh thou not unto me? Are you not going to answer me? I am Mr. Rome, and you've got to know who you're messing with. You're not going to answer me? Really? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? Wow. Hey, listen, buddy, you got to know who you're talking to here. I'm Pilate. I can kill you or I can let you go right now. Jesus answers him. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from a, to thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. The Jewish high priest and the Jewish people have the greater sin for delivering Jesus to the Romans. But Jesus says, you could have no power over me at all, except it were given thee from above. So he did get his answer to his first question. I'm from above. Do you remember he already said, my kingdom is not of this world. For this reason, I came into this world. Pilate should have already heard and should have known that Jesus was not of this world, that he came into this world. And so the question then is this, don't you know I have power to kill you or release you? Jesus says, don't you know you really have no power at all? So here we see the sovereignty of Jesus clearly stated. Who is Jesus? Well, he's God who became a man, lived 100% as a human being, 100% as the Son of God, as God at the same time. Never sinned once. He's absolutely sovereign in control of the circumstances of this trial. That's what he's telling Pilate. You think you're in charge? Let me tell you, you're not in charge. You have no power or authority that I haven't given you. You see, here's what's the beautiful thing about this. Jesus is showing us that he was willing to go through this for you and me. He took that buffeting. He took that spitting of his face, the pulling of his beard, the mockery of his person, the thorns in his head, being tried before human beings who have no business trying him. But he loves us, folks. You remember a few weeks ago when the young man from faith was preaching to us and showing us what our motivation should be? 
because of what Jesus has done for us. Just look at what Jesus has done for you. He's gone through the ordeal of two human trials, one Jewish, one Roman, but are just absolute shams. They're fabricated, they're made up. Supposed law that was in place to protect him wasn't followed. He's suffering. He's a man of sorrows. But he's suffering for you and me because he loves us. Well, Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again unto them. He comes out the third time. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I found no cause of death in him. I therefore will chastise him and let him go. And from that time, uh, henceforth, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And that was all Pilate needed to hear. The political pressure of his day. The threat of a revolt right then and there in the city, it scared him so bad that he does the ultimately coward thing. Verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down on the judgment seat in the place that is called in the pavement, uh, but in the Hebrew Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they were insistent with loud voices, and they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, in other words, Pilate delivered him therefore unto them to be crucified. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and they took Jesus and led him away. Ultimately, Pilate was a political coward. Hey, you know, just as a side application, Christians in America, you're going to be called to live your biblical convictions. And the world just might think those are political causes when ultimately they're biblical truth. And you have to live with loyalty and allegiance to King Jesus. And the world's going to say, no, that's just your political viewpoint. Why don't you give that up? And you're going to say, but I can't. And you're beginning to see that in our nation, aren't you? You've seen the hockey players this week standing up and saying, no, I will not bow to the political pressure. I will not wear the, the colors because I'm a Christian. Praise God. Praise God. You should check and see what happened in our own city last Monday night down at City Hall. It's going to come right here to Hollister. Will you go along with the agenda, or will you not? If you're not going to go along with the agenda, we're going to brand you. We're going to list you as not being 
worthy of our little kingdom. Folks, you're going to have to make a decision for Christ. Is he your king or is he not? Are you going to give him your allegiance or are you not? America needs you now to get busy with the Great Commission. The hope for this country, the hope for this city is your gospel witness. Don't think that it's already a foregone conclusion that we're done and sunk, folks. Because we are not polishing brass on a sinking ship. We have an almighty king. And he can change hearts. Because he is King Jesus. He's seeking such to believe in him. There are souls in this community that are listening for the voice of God, but you need to be a spokesperson. Will you do those evangelistic Bible studies? Will you build redemptive relationships? You're going to build a relationship, you're going to love on people because you love Jesus more and you want them to love Jesus. You see, there's great hope yet. Because Jesus Christ is not dead. And we're going to see his crucifixion and we're going to see his resurrection. He's alive. And that's why we have hope. If you're here today and you've been listening to our messages, maybe you're listening online, well, we make an appeal to you. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is your, your payment for your sin problem. He loves you so much, he said, this much. With nails and blood. And he gave his life in exchange for you. He identified as a sinner so that you could be identified as him, the righteous. And God will give you the gift of righteousness and of salvation when you put your faith and trust in his name. It's a free gift. But you do have to humble yourself. That's the price you have to pay. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So will you humble yourself and believe on him?